She's alive. Alive! You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 218. And I'm your host, Lee. Cursed for delving into the mysteries of life, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. I hope her bones are firm. Harper, how you doing, sir? I don't know if her bones are firm, but mine certainly is. <laughs> I think I maybe missed a part in the film that we're covering, but I thought they... I don't know if they like sculpted any flesh over any of her bones. I don't know. <laughs> it, it it just makes it seem that way the way the way he was talking there. But um, I I assumed it was just body parts like limbs that had bones in them already. But yeah, well, you know, who knows? But yeah, we're covering Bride of Frankenstein from 1935, and this is going to be the um, only horror film we really do on the main. Uh, they must be destroyed on site feed this month. Going to be doing two bonus episodes, hopefully with Paul, where we cover a bunch of slasher films. So look for those later in the month. Also, if you guys are interested on our Blood on the Tracks, the latest episode of that is out, which is the second half of the Beach Party films, covering those soundtracks. The Beach Party films that are not official Beach Party films. Uh, they're sort of like the spinoffs and stuff like that when they were trying to change up the formula and everything. And uh, also the Wolfman, Lee Van Teeth, his uh, first uh, rock and roll show, monthly rock and roll show, is also on the feed. And of course, at the end of October, it'll be his uh, two-hour uh, annual Halloween show as well. So uh, a lot of stuff coming uh, in the near future. Basically, audience, what you should know is Lee has decided he, has ra- he would rather be a, a DJ than <laughs> talk to me. That's the... That's really the <laughs> Uh, yeah, 
and uh, you got a... <laughs> uh, doesn't disagree, doesn't argue, just like, yeah, no, no, that's pretty much what's happening. Yep, no, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we got a bunch of comments to get through here, so uh, awesome, let's we'll, do it. We'll dig through it. Where's the movie, you assholes? Uh, we got one that's sort of from that area of YouTube, but it's a much different comment. Then we'll save that okay. one for last. Okay. Yeah. So on our Facebook page, uh, Martin Stone Hennessy said, in regards to Bride of Frankenstein, one of my top five favorite films, which is pretty high praise, mm. but one I would believe because yeah. no. it's a great film. It is. I mean, it's not one of my top five favorite films, but it deserves, I mean, there's no reason it isn't. It just isn't, yeah. but you know. We will get into it. We will be giving plenty of uh, blowjob time to this film, I think, uh, when we yeah. get into it. Um, so Robert Ward, speaking on our episode on The Thin Man, says, at the end of the latest episode, I was really screaming at Lee and Daniel. There was a regular live... So I guess this is in kind of regards to, like, why has no one ever really remade The Thin Man? He said, at the end of the latest episode, I was really screaming at Lee and Daniel. There was a regular live show once that was also released as a podcast called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. The show was broken into segments at a half hour long each and presented as old time radio style comedies. One show is called Beyond Belief, a take on Thin Man about two lush socialites that begrudgingly get drawn into supernatural cases, no matter how much they try avoiding them. Lee and Daniel seem to be really hitting a hitting the A-list, so allow me to present Frank and Sadie Doyle of Beyond Belief, Paul F. Tompkins, and Paget Brewster. And Paul Which F. Tompkins. Amazing casting, honestly. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah, no, that's perfect. So, uh, yeah, I saw that comment. I have not had a chance to listen yet, but I definitely will um, mm -hmm. at some point. Like, this, yeah, no. I, I would watch that TV series so hard. <laughs> like, it would be so amazing. Yeah, Robert Ward provided a link. So, uh, we will be digging into that, and I'll put that in the show notes as well for anyone who's interested. Then we move on to some YouTube comments here. Well, first YouTube comment anyway. Um, so this is from Arthur Workman, and this is on our Cleopatra Jones TNT Jackson uh, episode. Wow. Last from and, the past. All right. Mm -hmm, like episode 81 or something like that. Jesus um, Christ. That feels like <laughs> a wholly different world, right? You know? But mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Just about all of those black films had bad acting. Uh, no one's that blind to it. We who were around during that era saw them for what they were. Uh, they were great on entertainment, but bad on acting, except for the film Sounder, which was and still is a great film. I should look that up. I hadn't heard of that no. one. So, no, uh, I was either, so, yeah, I was shocked back then when it got nominated for an Oscar, even though it didn't win. I was shocked the White Academy Awards actually took the time to acknowledge it as that great of a film. Uh, I still think Claudine should have been not just nominated, but actually won an Oscar. I should have, I should have dug a little deeper here to see what he's referencing. Claudine might be a film, or maybe it was someone in Sounder. I, I don't know. No, that sounds like someone who was in Sounder. Yeah, I'm guessing that's what it is, as he goes on here. He says, that was the only film back then that actually showed black life in any truthful form without it being insulting, let alone fictional. Not sure if the writer was black or the director was either, but it sh shows my black people in a uh, real-life, honest, and seriously authentic setting. The biggest insult to many action-packed films starring women was when they dubbed white men to do the black actresses' stunts, like doing backflips, as you could easily see it was a white man. Talk about not paying attention to in the editing room, LOL. <laughs> yeah, there, there is some of that in some of the uh, really low-rent black exploitation films where you can see some 
pretty obvious stunt actors, and, and sometimes they were white stunt actors playing black people. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Sounder from 1972, directed by Martin Ritt, who is, uh, I'm looking at his photo on Wikipedia, who is not black, but starring Cicely Tyson, Paul Winfield, and Kevin Hooks. Um, and it's a period piece and made in, uh, set in 1933, Louisiana, hmm. about, you know, black life in the Great Depression. And uh, we should put this on our list. <laughs> yeah, we should do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that looks, that looks really good. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for that comment, Arthur. Also, also, it, it is kind of it, it is kind of the thing of like you know we're not young men at this point. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think we can pretend to be young men, but it is kind of amazing when we get comments from people who are listening to this podcast or who kind of like stumble upon it, who are like, oh yeah, I remember watching these films in the theaters back in the day when I was a teenager, and it's like, yeah, you're like sixty five years old and you're listening to this podcast, and what don't you have better things to do with your life? But also, <laughs> thank you very much. So, you know, it's great. Yeah. Uh, during the pandemic, nobody's got anything better to do with their lives, I guess, <laughs> at the moment. But except for like trying to preserve it. Uh, right. Preserve uh, your life and hope Donald Trump dies peacefully in his sleep of coronavirus. Those in Minecraft. Yeah. yeah. You know, if Minecraft was real life. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we have a comment. These are hard to uh, to check. I have to go into my fucking little tablet to check these things because uh, Podbean doesn't give me an option to check them uh, in in a browser uh, on a fucking PC. But my friend Lee Hardy, who is the uh, female Lee of our little group of friends, said on our episode of Snatch, love this movie. Paying a compliment to you here. That was the best synopsis I've ever heard for this movie. And then she goes on to say the soundtrack, the last fight scene, need to rewatch this movie again. So there you go. Awesome. That's back when I was actually writing synopses for these, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. back when I gave a shit about this podcast. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Not the not the not the old bitter jaded Daniel now who yeah. just just shows up for the money. Yeah, just shows up and gets paid and goes away. <laughs> Let's see here. Did I have another one there? No. Okay, and we have our last comment here, and this is our uh, bad side of YouTube. I should make up like some sort of fucking little sound drop for like shitty YouTube comments at this point. This is from someone called Tyrone Kumundodorus, and this is okay. on our Bad Day at Blackrock episode. Which man, is why is that the one? That's always the one. That's always the one. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and I don't know what the fuck is going on maybe it's comment. just hard to find maybe people just don't know where to find it and so yeah i don't know like not a whole lot of people talk about bad day at black rock people know that it's like a big famous film because paul thomas anderson has talked a lot about it yeah and uh, martin scorsese talked about it in his uh, like long documentary about but maybe people maybe it's like not really talked about outside of that and so then people find our video and suddenly like you know i, I think that's the explanation so yeah, uh, lay this on me. I'm 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 excited. Yeah, and I quote: "The satanic anti-American Jew, spelt J-O-O, always causing trouble, stir up hate. Typical Talmud demon." Wow. Was Spencer Tracy Jewish? I don't think so. I, I, uh, actually, I think not. actually, you should probably. Uh, I, I'm gonna. 
we I'll go find this guy. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing is, the thing is, uh, YouTube it, it notified me of his comment, right? But YouTube seems a lot stricter now on what comments will actually like get posted under videos. Like if you actually right. go to the video, the episode, um, it's not there. So interesting, interesting. Yeah. No, uh, Spencer Tracy was Irish Catholic. Mm. So, like, the direct opposite of Jewish, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they were both hated by the 1920s clan, just to be clear, mm -hmm. you know. Interlopers yep. in society. No, I think this is generic YouTube hatred, although it might be coming from my other podcast. It's entirely possible. Could um, be. You know, um, so, yeah, screenshot that for me. Uh, okay. Uh, don't worry. Yeah. Well, we can take care of this shit. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a break. We're going to play a little bit of music, podcast promo. We're going to come back and talk about Bride of Frankenstein. You ungodly warlock. Howdy, folks. Got blood, violence, freaks of nature. you come to the right place. My name is Gary, and I'm your guide to Cinnamon Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better, and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One... Never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sin Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. You ungodly warlock. Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. Uh, this is directed by somebody you may have heard about on this podcast before, James Whale. 
covered a couple of his movies now. The writing credits are as follows. First, we get Mary Shelley, who, of course, pinned the original Frankenstein. And who just... appears in this film in real life. Yeah. 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 Uh, that was just... her. That was actually her. She just, you know, they had footage from 1818. It was amazing yeah. that they had a camera back then that was so, like, clear. Like, it was. Yeah, really. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, they had, they had this really, like, awesome footage. It, mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing was a, was like a documentary, right? Like, and Mary Shelley was like a bomb, like a bombshell, right? Jesus like, you know. Christ! Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, uh, oh, that's right, we're 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 past the code now. Damn it! <laughs> 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 Although James Well doesn't seem to think so. Uh, he, he's like, eh, I'm gonna throw some shit in here, boys. He's um, doing some things. He's doing some things. You know? Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, the writing for the film. Uh, William uh, Hurlbut, who was a playwright who briefly worked in uh, movies, he uh, came in and uh, did Imitation of Life in 1934, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the only big thing I think he's known for. He just kind of briefly, he, he's had a cup of coffee, basically, in uh, cinema. Then we got John L. Balderston, who is a big-time player as far as uh, the Universal Monsters go. He wrote on Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, Mark of the Vampire, Mad Love, Dracula's Daughter, Gaslight, and The Last of the Mohicans, the original Last of the Mohicans from the 30s. I was not aware there was an original Last of the Mohicans, but awesome. Good. Yeah, apparently the one from the 90s is kind of just a remake of that or, you know, re-envisioning of some sort. I I was not aware of that. That sounds like something we should check out at some point, yeah. Uh, also interesting about this guy as a foreign foreign correspondent before he got into the movies, he covered the opening of King Tut's tomb in Egypt years in before he wrote two or something. Yeah. yeah, so quite a while before he ended up writing the screenplay for the Mummy in '32. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's what happens. You're like, hey, I've been to Egypt once. Let's write a movie. <laughs> And uh, then we have the cast here, and uh, I didn't get into the cast background because honestly, we kind of covered most of these people in previous yeah. James Wales films. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we got Boris Karloff as the monster. Here, he's actually credited as Karloff. Uh, I always love just seeing like Karloff. Like the, mm-hmm. that's it's such a great like. It's very of that moment. And so like I know that like old school like. Universal horror fans, it's kind of old hat, but for me, I still like look at that and I get a little thrill from it. It's, it's mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we got the excellent Colin Clive here as Henry Frankenstein. Uh, we got Valerie Hobson playing uh, Elizabeth Frankenstein, and we have Ernest Thessinger here as Doctor Pretorius, who is just great in this fucking film. Yep. Mm-hmm. And of course, we 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 had him in uh, Old Dark Host as well. We got Elsa Lanchester as Mary. Wallenstonecraft Shelley, which is not Mary Shelley's actual real name. I don't know why they changed it for this. It doesn't really make sense. But uh, she plays Mary Shelley in this and The Bride. Uh, so yeah. she's doing a dual thing here. Really interesting move that the film does there. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. And uh, she worked into uh, late in her life. Like she mm-hmm. had a very long career. I did check her out. And she's recording great. career as well. She did all these like old body, like uh, Cockney, like English bar songs and stuff like that. She she did a <laughs> like a whole album of them back in the day. So it was man, I that I'm gonna I'm gonna seek that out and try to listen to it tomorrow. It's, it's all on YouTube. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Uh, we have Gavin Gordon as Lord Byron, Douglas Walton as Percy Bliss Shelley or Blish Shelley. Uh, pff, I don't know. Percy uh, Shelley. Fuck it. Doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, Percy Shelley. Una O'Connor is Minnie. Uh, I'm gonna have to talk about her in this film. E. e. Clive is the Burgermeister. He was the uh, bumbling, well, bumbling. You know, uh, what's all distant cop in the Invisible Man. Um, <laughs> Uh, Lucian Privil as b- the butler, O.P. Hagee as the hermit, uh, Dwight Fry as Carl Glutz, Reginald Barlow as Hans, Mary Gordon as Hans' wife, and Darling as Shepherdess, Ted Billings as Ludwig, and then we have two uncredited uh, early roles here, Walter Brennan as a peasant, and John Carradine, again making an uncredited appearance in a uh, James Whale film as a hunter. One of the guys who uh, find the monster at the old blind man's yeah, uh, yeah. shack. Yeah. So we have a synopsis here from Jay Sperlin on IMDb. Mary Shelley, author of Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus, reveals to Percy Shelley and Lord Byron that Henry Frankenstein and his monster did not die. Both lived and went on to even stranger misadventures than before. As the new story begins, Henry wants nothing more than to settle into a peaceful life with his new bride. But his old professor, the sinister Dr. Pretorius, now disgraced, appears unexpectedly. Eventually, he and the monster blackmail him into continuing his work. The monster wants his creator to build him a friend, and Pretorius wants to see dead tissue become a living woman. Henry is forced to give his creature a bride. And yeah, that's a good little uh, teaser synopsis there. I like that. Is this first time watch for you? I mean, it's kind of one of those that like I watched back in the day when I was like checking boxes on mm-hmm. the list of things to watch. I never really had a clear memory uh, of it, uh, but like it's has such a like kind of a large like cultural component that I felt like I kind of have seen it. Uh, this is the first time I really sat down and watched it, you know, with intent, you know, to to kind of talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fucking amazing. Of course, it's fucking amazing. Like, yeah. I'm not going to count this as a first time watch. If it were, it would easily make a top 10 list for the year. Like, there's no question about that. Yeah, no, I love that. I love the the kind of the framing device. Not really a framing device, just sort of like an intro device, right? You know, yeah. like where, you know, oh, we're talking about the movie. Like, we're talking about the book, which at the time was 110 years old or so, 115 <laughs> years old or something like that. Um, and now is like 200 years old, mm. you know, but, but which at the time was, you know, like, like we're kind of at the beginning of this like horror genre of this horror era. Right. And so we're going to kind of talk about that and we're going to use that as a way to lean into, uh, well, no, there's more to the story, right? There's more going on than like the original thing that we told you back in the original book. And we're like putting this in the mouth of the the author of Mary yeah. Shelley, right? Like in this so, kind of hypothetical scenario. And so she's going like, and here's the rest of the story, and everything goes completely batshit. And that's sort of the you know, and it's an interesting move there, right? You know, it it's is. like, oh yeah, it turns out, it turns out, you know, uh, we're gonna do another sequel tomorrow to uh, Huckleberry Finn. And it turns out, uh, yeah, it turns out uh, Huck Finn went to space. <laughs> or whatever that's sort of what you it's, know it's pretty yeah. uh it's it's pretty great like it's pretty smart yeah. a whale to like have yeah. that sort of happen because it's like all bets are off no restrictions this is mary yeah. shelley herself motherfucker telling you how the story went so exactly yeah. and then it turns out at the end 
I would didn't want to marry Frankenstein. That's mm-hmm. because like it's the same actress at the end. Very interesting choices. Like really like fascinating. Like some of the some of the internal dialogue. Um, I think you know kind of. I mean, it's a great film. Like, there's no question here. Mm-hmm. I think kind of towards the middle, it gets a little vignette where there's a little bit of yeah. a, you know, kind of, okay, we're going to see the hermit. And we're going to hang out with the hermit for a while. And we're going to kind of see some hunters. And we're going to kind of get caught and everything. Like, it kind of loses focus a little bit. But I think it overall, like, I think this film, obviously very well made. Obviously, it's got a lot of things that it's trying to say. I think it says most of them really effectively. And, um, yeah, no, uh, just overall a great film. So, yeah, um, I'm going to count this as a first time watch because I, I do know I sort of like lazily watched this as a child lo- a sure. long time ago on TV. And, you know, and then, I mean, we all have sort of the pop culture sort of references of the bride and her image is just like, you know, it's kind of implanted in your mind. There's, there's like, Literally, probably nobody from at least our generation that has not seen an image of the Bride of Frankenstein at some point. Well, right? and I think most of us see young Frankenstein first, right? Before mm-hmm. we see, I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know about you, but before I ever saw any of the James Well stuff, I saw Young Frankenstein way earlier than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't help but ever think of like when Colin Clive does, "She's alive, she's alive." It's like weird science. It's, it's weird science. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like the Simpsons ruining things for you. It's like weird science kind of ruined that for me in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, right? As good but, as weird science it is, it isn't as good as Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. No, not even on the same fucking level. But but yeah, that opening's really neat. Uh, again, like you know, whale. He just constructs this nice little uh, thing where it's like, I get to tell the story however I want, which is funny because she's recounting like, oh, you know, we had the first movie and that's Mary Shelley's story. Although the first movie is not particularly close to Mary Shelley's story at all. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) Whereas this movie actually gets closer to the source material than than the, than the yeah. first movie does because it has things like the monster talking. It has the vignette with the blind man in the, in the woods because those are all things from the actual novel. And I think it does a good job. Like it, It's much more a uh, horror comedy this time. Like uh, oh, yeah. James Whale did not immediately make a sequel even though they wanted one right away back in the day. To, this to is Friends four years Friends. later, which mm-hmm. is like an eternity for these things. I mean, we're very used to you know, like the Thin Man series in which like, oh yeah, they made nine films in seven years or whatever. (laughs) That's an exaggeration, but it's not much of an exaggeration. Like it's very clear that they, they would turn this stuff out. And so coming back four years later, I mean, this is like it. And also, and also there is a pre and post code element here. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and very clearly there's a, there, there's a divide in terms of like kind of what, is being made. I mean, also we're at the very early days of like sound and cinema. I mean, I, I hate to even talk about it, you know, like 31 is four years into the advent of sound. And now we're, I know it's only eight years, but that's twice as long. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's, it's just a different technical era. One of the things that I say about this film that I really admired just kind of watching it was this is among the most technically accomplished films like of its era. And by of its era, I mean up until 1980. (laughs) This this is astonishing in terms of like its technical sophistication. It's pretty seamless. Really up until, up until like star Wars, like you're not going to see like better special effects than this. Like it's just, it's astonishing how well this is made. 
Yeah, and so, like I say, more of a comedy, but, I mean, there's still horrific things here. Like, it's it's when you think about it, it's kind of goddamn grim. Like, uh, in the very opening, the, the parents of the little girl who gets accidentally drowned in the first Frankenstein... They want to make sure the monster's dead, so they're they're looking at the like the burnt down windmill or whatever that they chase the monster into at the end of the first film, and the the husband he falls into like the lake or whatever underneath the fucking windmill, the river or whatever, and the monster comes out from from the water and and just like kills him, drowns him, or smashes him against a wall or whatever. And then the monster climbs up and pulls the woman, throws her, and we graphically see her like hit the fucking ledge going down and, and into the water to her death. So you, you get a couple moments like that. But yeah, this you're saying technically accomplished, just these big, grand, beautiful sets, both in the interiors and the exteriors. Interesting that, yeah, code's in this now. So there's like this hugely overt Christian imagery to this film. Like there's some some defining of good and evil, but at the same time, I feel like James Whale is kind of subverting that stuff a little bit. Oh like he, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I yeah, know he doesn't take that shit. I mean, there is a sort of good and evil element to it, but it isn't like it, it doesn't. Even though the film is sort of hewing to this kind of like Christian idea of it, it's also kind of asking that question about like because the monster is clearly like you show up in a horror film and you expect the monster to be evil. Yeah. It's just even in 30 even in 35 that's a thing that you expect, right? But the monster isn't the monster is ultimately the hero of the film, you yeah. know, at the end, right? And he's kind of learning to talk and he kind of meets the hermit and ultimately like shades of like Night of the Living Dead, you know, like the hunters mm-hmm. come in evil, this guy, like he's been rampaging the uh, the he's been rampaging the countryside. It's like, uh, no well, um Maybe we should ask some questions about that before we just start shooting. And he yeah. burns down the guy's house um, by accident, you know. And, and, yeah, and uh, where yeah. where's that old blind man go, man? Because I mean that that's one of the uh, as as much as you're right. Like it does kind of meander in the middle with that a bit because it's just like we got to give the monster some stuff to do. I guess right. is, is kind of their idea. Well, Karloff is kind of the big star, so of course you got to mm-hmm. give. It, like it's almost not. I mean you don't even really need Frankenstein's monster in this, like, you know, in terms of the structure of the thing, like, yeah, you know, he can kind of be in at the beginning and the end and just kind of like, you don't, you don't need any of that. Um, I, I mean, I think it's really, it thematically works and I'm not saying it's bad material. I'm just saying like, you could rewrite this without even including Frankenstein at all. Like, you know. right. Right. But yeah, so like we, we do have this sort of extended scene where, you know, he meets the hermit and this is, you know, directly from the text, for the most part. And it turns into like a kind of a buddy comedy kind of thing for a while. Like kind of almost like a stoner comedy. Cause you know, the hermit's like, Oh, Hey dude, like I'm just really lonely. You want to hang out with me? Here's some, here's some smoke. And that, <laughs> yeah. that cigar looks like a big fat blunt to me. I don't know about, yeah. about you, but reefer, reefer, they would call it at the time for sure. Yeah, yeah no, no. Uh, and- um, it reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you've seen Truffaut's The Wild Child. No. Um, that's a, uh, it's a film. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's Truffaut actually, I believe he starred in this. Sorry. It's been a long, long time since I've seen it, but mm-hmm. it is about like this, um, child who's like, Adopt like uh, it was raised by wolves or whatever. Who kind of comes in? And it's kind of about we're going to train this child to be like kind of a moral 
uh, figure. And uh, the whole point is that at the end, the doctor who's like training him kind of um, is unjust to this child and the child uh, responds negatively and is not, does not respond shows like a sense of kind of moral uh, objectivity at the end, right? In terms of when he is like cheated out of something, I forget the exact details of it. And so, you know, <laughs> but the but the whole like structure of it is like teaching the child to talk and teaching the child like, yeah. you know, how to like do certain things. And there's a little bit of that kind of going on here. And so it would not surprise me if, although the, the Truffaut film was based on kind of a real life incident, it wouldn't surprise me if like some of the like structure of that was built around um, some of this like literally like four minute sequence of Bride of Frankenstein, right? You know? Yeah, and you know, you know, he's like, here, here, have a smoke and have some, drink some wine. You know, the fucking wine, wine. good, wine mm. good, drink good. It's like, yeah, he monsters getting in. He's down to party, man. He he's yeah. down to party now. He wants to fuck. That's that's yeah, kind no, of the it's like. All right, all right, my <laughs> dick, my dick now needs some attention. Yeah, I need, I need some flesh. I need some flesh around my dick. That's that's yeah. what's happening. But but the the plot kind of does depend on like the monster kind of randomly walking around places. Like eventually it gets found and chased again. Um, gets put so like first it gets found, chased, crucified, put in jail, escapes mm-hmm. from jail, finds the hermit, gets found again. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean there's there's a lot of just kind of like you know stuff happening in the middle of the film. The thing that James Well seems really interested in is the Pretorius Frankenstein relationship yeah. and the sort of like building of the Bride of Frankenstein, and then like kind of brings in this Frankenstein's monster stuff as a way of you know, padding out the runtime a bit. Although this is only like an hour and fifteen minutes long or something, but he brings all that in as a way, you know, pad the runtime, but also kind of play with the thematics and sort of justify sort of the, um, the speaking role that the Frank, that the monster is going to have at the end and to justify um, the way the plot ends. So, I mean, it's, it is, it's kind of parallel stories. It's a, a plot and B plot, but yeah. clearly what the movie's really interested in is the Pretorius um, Frankenstein relationship. Yeah. And Pretorius here, uh, Fessinger, he's just this foppish re- reptilian amoral scientific monster kind of guy repeats the joke of drinking gin that he did from old dark house you know it's like the only only thing he drinks or whatever and a couple times he says you know drinking gin is my only weakness Uh, i think he at one point says like smoking a cigar is my only weakness or you know like he he, he keeps making excuses for his habits you know uh it's interesting here more fantastical elements come in and even like frankenstein's like when he looks at the experiments that Pretorius shows him, it's like, this isn't what I do, which is science. This is magic because Pretorius actually comes with homunculi, like living creatures he's created, miniature living humans, basically, that he's created, and somehow managed to dress up and style their hair and all this other shit. And this is where I look at, like, the the effects are about as good as you're going to see in a film like this up until, like, Star Wars. Like, this, like... It's better than the Invisible Man. That stuff looks phenomenal. Like, it's, it's, you know, for for a film of this time, it's seamless. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same guy who who did the Invisible Man, and it's even better. Like, it's it's seamless pretty much here, and it, it looks great. And but but I kind of thinking like I, I get like, the, like who framed Roger Rabbit doesn't look 
which is a technical marvel. Mm-hmm. I really like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I grew up on that movie. That's a, that's a phenomenal movie. But even that has kind of technical limitations that you don't see in that like little sequence in Brighter Frankenstein. Like, yeah, and I and again, I think part of it is it's in black and white that can hide a yeah. lot of sin, sins, you know. Like, but yeah. um, it's it's interesting. Pretorius, like he can he can create life on a level that's way above what Frankenstein was doing with the monster. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, guess, absolutely. I guess the only excuse is he he can't. For some fucked up reason, he can't create life-size people. <laughs> so there's this idea, and oh, God, this oh, man, I need to look up the, the like the biology because the original like homunculus idea is that prior to our under, our current understanding of heredity and genetics, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, there was this idea that there are like kind of little people living inside of like semen that are being implanted inside of the womb which is just like a field, like a fertile field, right? And so that's where the idea that semen is seed, that's literally where the idea the idea comes from. Uh-huh. And of course, what that means is that inside that seed, there are other like tiny people living inside that. And inside that, there are other tiny people. So there is like kind of this like, logical absurdity there, right? But like this is, this was like legitimate biology. This was like legitimately like kind of what, early biologists would have believed about kind of like the human body. And so the idea that maybe you can like take the thing that's in like semen and then like grow it in some like medium. And there's like, they talk about like a saline solution, like increase the saline solution drip into the heart and the heart is the most complex organ in the body, et cetera, et cetera, you know, like, but the idea that you could grow it, but you can't grow it beyond a certain point because like, you're kind of, you can't give it this like vitality, this like life force or whatever. And this really does reflect the kind of difference between like the way that the science was seen in like 1818 versus Mm -hmm. what, uh, in 1930, even in 1935, Darwin happened in the meantime, (laughs) you know? And there's a bunch of like eugenic shit kind of happening in the thirties. And like, we've talked a lot about that in kind of previous episodes, you know, at the same time, like there's a very different kind of idea about we then had an understanding of genetics. I mean, the discovery of DNA wasn't for another like 18 years or so. There was this idea that there was this kind of heritable material and Mendelian genetics had kind of been kind of rediscovered. And we're in this era of like this kind of modern synthesis. Sorry, this is completely boring to the, to the <laughs> audience, you know, because nobody wants to listen to me talk about biology. There really is like a thing that's happening in this story. And like the idea that he's got homunculi that are that where you can grow them to a certain point but they don't grow beyond that because we don't have the ability to like grow them to further size that sort of makes sense in the sense of this kind of 19th century science in the sense of this kind of idea about this is how life is born versus like frankenstein's thing is like I'm going to stitch together dead body parts and I'm going to like I'm going to take advantage of electricity which you know, your body and mine are built on like uh, both electrochemical gradients within our cells, but also our brains are like fed by electrical impulses, right? And so this idea that like once we discovered electricity and the whole like kite thing like connects to like Benjamin Franklin and, you know, it is this kind of like a sense of modernity that's being kind of brought into this. And so 
there is this kind of sense in which what um, Pretorius is doing, and even the name Pretorius kind of lends to this Linnaeus, kind of like 17th century mm. gentleman adventurer scientist, or this kind of like versus Frankenstein, who is, you know, this German, Germanic, uh, you know, chemist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you are seeing this kind of like mix of like this kind of this old school view of the way that life science works versus this kind of more newfangled thing because what Frankenstein can do is animate parts that already existed using this kind of brand new technology called electricity. And what Pretorius can do is like grow the homunculi from uh, the, the tiny things that already existed, but he can't really do anything new. And so there is this kind of sense in which the two of them need to kind of, kind of combine forces right. in order to make the bride. And so, like, I don't know that any of that was really on the minds of the people making the film, yeah. but it's certainly there in the text. Like, it's certainly there on screen. Yeah, it's it's to me that stuff is fascinating, right? Yeah, um, and I I, w- I wasn't aware, I wasn't aware <laughs> completely of... derailed everything that you were. No, 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 to say it, 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 um, I wasn't aware of that side of uh, homunculi. Um, I was always under the assumption that basically homunculi was more was more based in a like a magic kind of thing where it was like an alchemist uh well go back far go back go back i mean louis pasteur after Mm -hmm. the louis pasteur was born in 1822 it isn't until the 1850s that he even like synthesizes quote-unquote organic compounds from like non-living material like Mm -hmm. At the time that the original novel was written, there was this thought that there's living stuff, there's stuff that's alive, and there's stuff that's not. Yeah. And they're yeah. completely different things. This is where you get things like the vital force and you know all that sort of stuff. And the idea that, like, no, it's all chemistry. We can actually make compounds that are from life from things that are not alive. Like that was a huge revelation in the like the mid 1850s, right? You know. And so um, to say that like the homuncul- the homunculus uh, concept seems like kind of drawn from alchemy, it seems drawn from religion or it seems drawn from like, yeah, nobody fucking knew how this shit worked, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and of course there was a deep misogyny in the like, well, all the woman does is really just provide the fertile field right. for the man coming in <laughs> and like, laying the seed, which is actually the source of all life. No, that's uh, that's actually not that's actually not how it works at all. But it's fine, you know. We understand you were deeply yeah. misogynistic nineteenth century science. Like it's yeah. fine. <laughs> it wasn't, but you know, like we're not yeah. gonna blame you for that. Yeah, so it's good stuff. Uh like the performances, I mean, almost entirely across the board are good. Uh I do have a one stickler here. Uh Una O'Connor is uh was it Maggie or whatever? Mini? Yeah, I I'm, I can't do it. <laughs> every time, every like I, I get what she's doing. I, I get that it's supposed to be a comedy character and stuff. Yeah. But she could smash. She's very, she's her. very broad. She's very broad. She could. Smash. I like her. I like her in the movie. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I, I really like the performance, mm-hmm. but I don't like it for like objective reasons. I just think she's. <laughs> I don't know. I just think she's really funny. So you know, that's fine. If she could just turn it down a few decibels, because it's like, my God. Uh, She's the- practically like an 80s sitcom. 
Like yeah. she's practically just kind of wandering in and going like, "Oh my lord," you know, or whatever. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite performance in this, though, is strong second to Karloff because, you know, he gets to do more here. He gets to talk, although mm-hmm. Karloff himself did not like the monster being able to talk. Um, apparently. Which is interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it actually, part of it had to do with, like, his makeup and shit, too. It was like uh, he, <laughs> he didn't want to do it because he had to, like, I don't know if he wore him in this film. I think he wore it in the first film, but not in this film, and his face is noticeably a bit, a, a little bit, wider because he had a he had like a prosthetic thing in his mouth to like basically suck his his the sides of his face in a bit more make him look a bit oh, more yeah. um but uh who knows but I can uh, imagine that's difficult to talk through so he had to like, learn to talk again <laughs> for like the you know yeah. 18 lines he has in this movie you know uh but uh Ernest Thessinger I think he's just he, he steals this for me yeah. like I I, I look oh yeah I just you really want to see a whole movie just with this guy. Yeah. I, I love everything he does. I love how he, you know, he went down to the crypt looking for some, you know, some body parts and shit to, to make this bride of Frankenstein. And he decides to take a break mm-hmm. and just eat and drink wine on, on this coffin. And then he encounters the Frankenstein's monster and befriends him, you know, or whatever. He's like, Oh, well, here, have a smoke. You like the smoke? And Frankenstein's already a fucking pothead at this point. Yeah, I like the smoke. And I like to drink too. You got some of that shit. <laughs> oh well, I'm down in the crypt looking for dead bodies of like pretty young girls that I can. Oh man, I'm tired. I need to. I gotta lie down. I got. I gotta. I gotta get some. I gotta get some wine and a sandwich. You know, it's it's a thing. I, I love that. Um, I, I love any villain who's more concerned with his own problems than he is the absolute just moral decrepitude and and. And, and just the, how awful the thing he is he's doing he's like that doesn't affect him at all he's more concerned with yeah i gotta eat and drink here i, I gotta sit down and stop for a little bit like you know <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start finding body parts later i, I gotta have supper man that's, that's all there is yeah. to it yeah gotta, um, gotta eat something you know <laughs> gotta, gotta consume your calories in order to do your alchemical science right yeah uh, one of my favorite scenes is the scene with the homunculi by the way in terms mm-hmm. of like his performance and the way that he's very like proud of like the thing and then, like, he he's like look i've got a queen and like he shows it to dr frankenstein and it's like oh, what what the fuck is that and he's like and then there's the king look at the king and he's like fat and he's uh you know eating the chicken leg yeah. And then, like, the king is, like, escaping from the bottle. And, you know, no, we got to keep these two apart. No telling what's going to happen if they get together. Yeah. And so he has to move the king over and put, like, a, I think it's, like, a cup and saucer on top of oh, the yeah. vessel in order to, like, keep the king in his little cage. Like, no, 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 the king has to, no, no, no. the king is just going to, like, get over and start fucking everybody. If we, did, not, we, did, uh, we did see five minutes later where the king suffocated because he forgot to take the cup and saucer off or whatever. <laughs> it's like, but it's actually, that's interesting because it, it actually kind of foreshadows the ending of the film because the queen wants nothing to do with the little miniature king. Uh-huh. Like, she's like, fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah, don't fuck him. It's really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And... Um, I, I, well, I, of course, I, what these are, these are like people like grown from sperm. Presumably. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know exactly how. I don't think there's any description of like how he, he did this. Up, he, he traveled to like fucking Bavaria or something and jerked off the royal family. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine he goes to Bavaria and he's like, I have, I have a petri dish here. I just need to collect a sample. 
please lay out the royal cock. Yeah. And just, you know, <laughs> don't worry. This is for science. It's for science. <laughs> I, I don't know how Pretorius gets to do any of this stuff because at the point where he, he comes to uh, Frankenstein's <laughs> manor or whatever and knocks on the door, he's disgraced. He's got no money. He's got nothing. He, ju- he just comes in the night in a fucking... I kind of get the feeling that like he sort of has like some, um, some, some seed capital. Um, which I say, uh, uh, with the pun intended, yeah. uh, kind of back in his early days of being like you know a respected scientist, mm-hmm. and then um, you know he he wasn't producing results, or he you know nobody liked the things that he was doing. He showed like the early example of the homunculus, and like people were like, "What the fuck is that? You are doing disgusting things. Um, you don't need to be." in our institution anymore. And then he kind of goes off and has his own, like kind of little, you know, doing his little mad science stuff uh, on his own, you know? And then he comes back to Frankenstein is like, Hey, look, you've got some uh, academic credentials. You are going to be able to bring me back to the limelight. That's essentially the story, right? You know, I feel like Pretorius, like if he wanted to, he could have just easily like sort of slipped into one of those uh, uh, freak show carnivals that uh, we see in like the man who laughs, you know, like he could, it's yeah, like, or I, freaks, I freaks, yeah. or freaks. Uh, I got some freaks for you, baby. Look <laughs> what I got here. Like he could make what I got here. I got a horny King. He's mm. six inches tall and I don't mean his cock. That's the, you know, yeah, I mean, when when you think about it, is this like just is this kind of the prelude to like Tom Thumb or something like that, right? Is this like, yeah, mm-hmm. look what I got, I got some miniature people here. Um, and, and I mean, that, there is again, there's a whole other movie mm-hmm. that you can like, and this is the richness of this film, right? There's a whole other movie you can imagine that's like Doctor Pretorius's House of Horrors or whatever, where it's yeah. just him making these homunculi, making this thing, and then going off and joining the carnival. And you know somebody says like, "Oh my God, you're conducting these terrible science experiments," and like he has to go off and like kill people, and then like his like yeah. little homunculi have to go off and like kill people for him and stuff. Like again, there's a whole movie that's off screen mm-hmm. here. You know, um, I, I feel like they even dropped the ball on not having Pretorius just outright kill Frankenstein's wife and use her brain for the bride or something like that. That feels like something they could have done. And it would, and it. I I feel I feel like they wanted the sort of happy ending for the couple because like that's sort of like the catharsis moment for the monster is that he lets them go in the end. You know, like I guess that's the postcode thing because it's like Frankenstein's a piece of shit. He doesn't deserve the happy ending either. Right. Sure. I, I mean, who knows? There's a lot of. I mean, the moral complexity here is really interesting, and I don't think the film really explores it. But the no. film is definitely sort of interested in at least presenting us with these kind of like very flawed characters and then sort of like letting them kind of go about their business. And we can kind of, you know, again, as film people can kind of examine that um, because you're right. Like Frankenstein is not in any way like a decent person. He doesn't deserve a happy ending. No. But, you know, Pretorius way, way worse, right? You know, like. Yeah, yeah, and um, and possibly uh, Frankenstein's wife uh, deserved uh, deserved not to die, you know. So yeah, no, she's fine, but it's like in a, in a more modern reading, you can kind of see that either the wife gets away or her brain gets used for the bride, mm-hmm. and the bride gets away because the bride is kind of blameless, and you know the wife is kind of blameless, but 
Frankenstein brings the house down on himself or, and Frankenstein and Pretorius, right? Like, like that's kind of the more like modern way that we do this. Or it's the bride, the bride pulls the switch or the bride and Frankenstein. If, if it's the Frankenstein's monster from the text, which is the much more intelligent, learned monster that, you know, improves himself and tries and strives to become the man that his father envisioned him to be. Right. I haven't read the original text, uh, oh, honestly. So, you know, okay. but, uh, but Hey, the bride and the monster actually hook up and say, fuck these people. And they pull the switch and escape the lab, you know? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm up for that too. But talking about that last scene. So one of the most iconic fucking monsters in the universal horror thing is the bride and she's only on screen for like three minutes yeah no it's amazing how little screen time she gets versus how iconic she is and it's because that fucking hair and that streak in the hair and the like wardrobe and everything and also the performance like it's a phenomenal performance like she, uh, she looks like a bird. Name, uh elsa lanchester yeah. does two great performances in this film you know Add her to our podcast girlfriend list. Mm -hmm. Good. No, no, definitely. She she moves like a fucking bird. I guess she actually patterned her performance after uh, geese. I guess mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And she so so she sort of moves like a bird, and she kind of like hisses and and like screams like a fucking goose. I guess is kind of like her the way she was going for it because she she hates she apparently she hated geese she, she she thought they were awful disgusting fucking creatures uh so yeah there you go but um she like, and i have something in common no that's fine yeah no geese are crap um i have been personally threatened by a goose before because there was a pond like this uh the university i attended back in the day had like the big duck pond and there was like one goose there and at one point, the goose had the eggs, and I didn't know there were eggs anywhere around. But you get within like twenty feet of that fucking the, that fucking nest, and that goose will come and threaten to eat your balls. That's what happens, <laughs> you know. But that goose was a mean motherfucker, and yeah. uh, you know, I I don't blame her. I don't blame her. But um, yeah, that it's it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> Hashtag fuck all geese, um, <laughs> but but yeah, that that final scene's so great because you know he brings back the lab, brings back all the, f the like the the scale of the lab, you know where you know he has to raise it up to get the catch the lightning and all that shit. Uh, there's just when 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 Frankenstein's monster decides to go batshit crazy. There's that one really great shot that looks down into the lab for a minute and sort of sweeps down. It's like wow. You only did one of those in this movie. <laughs> you you could have done a bunch of those in this movie, but uh, yeah. you did at least one. But your money bride, shot, yeah. yeah. But but all the lab, and I I'd argue like the bride's hair, totally German expressionism. The bride's hair is yeah. kind of like German expressionism in a in a hairdo <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's this is this is kind of at the beginning of like kind of this is post M, right? Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and so this is clearly whale is being inspired by that. And, you know, again, I'd be fascinated to do Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein as a, a sort of not even a double feature, but kind of think of it as one movie. Well, they are because I feel like right? because I feel like there is a like structure to this to where mm -hmm. sort of not the literal beginning of the first film, but like very early in the first film, you get the you know creation of Frankenstein's monster. You right. get the the big like special effects sequence there. 
and but here we wait till the end where you can imagine if you were just to sort of like sit down and close your eyes and imagine sequel to Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein now we're going to create a new monster and it's going to be a woman and the the, the way we're going to do it is we're going to start the whole thing again clearly in order to get Frankenstein back to us we need to make him a bride and then like you know I'm just going to show up and we're going to have and now it's a woman and she's got like sexy clothes and um, you know we're going to entice the monster back to us and that's not what Will does at all, right? Like no. that's not the that's not the vision that he gives. He waits to the very end of the film to give us what we think we're gonna get at the beginning. And then once she's created, she's like, fuck all this noise. Yeah, fuck this. You know? She seems more interested in fucking Frankenstein than she does anybody else. Like instead of the monster yeah. or anybody else, she's like she's she keeps moving towards Frankenstein himself. Yeah. So yeah. So the She's the, like Frankenstein, Frankenstein, that guy awkward, awkward incel awkward insult douchebag no Man. no i need i need the hot guy i need <laughs> yeah I need, I need dr frankenstein yeah, yeah there we go there we go yeah. yeah so budget for this was 397,000 it went about 100,000 over budget apparently for shooting here but still it made 2 million in the box office so uh, so yeah it made like it made shitloads of money yeah yeah, it is uh, funny. Like, even adjusted for inflation, I think that's only like five million or something like that. You know? mm-hmm. or, it's a few million dollars. It does. It does feel like you know. Wouldn't it be nice if we had like a whole bunch of twenty million dollar movies that were like actually interesting, as opposed <laughs> to like a handful of two hundred million dollar movies that are all the same. Yeah. As much as I do like the Marvel movies, like let's not like yeah. I'm a fan of the Marvel movies. We're doing a fucking inside podcast on them, so. <laughs> But it would be really nice to get the smaller budget movies, which is, uh, you know, kind of the. I was reading an article about Bill and Ted Face the Music, which I still haven't seen. I've been wanting to see it. I was just kind of, mm-hmm. I just haven't had the time to kind of sit down and watch it. And, uh, you know, that movie, uh, you know, it cost like $20 million, $25 million, because Keanu Reeves didn't take his normal salary. And, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, it's made his money back, it's making a profit for the studio even just on video on demand in the middle of the pandemic. Well, maybe the pandemic is going to force the studios to make smaller budget movies that are actually going to like make movie, make money on video on demand. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we get like the smaller budget stuff. Like who knows? Yeah. Uh, I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it as well. I'm just hoping and praying for two I know. things. I know. One, me. a certain person has coronavirus. And In two Minecraft. smaller movies get made based on like an end to the modern system theatrical distribution, um, just rebuild from the ashes. The movie industry just needs to change fundamentally, and this is the uh, moment when it's going to happen, right? I'm, the, I'm neither of these you. things is going to happen. Neither of these things is going to happen. Uh, it's only going to consolidate the forces of the largest companies on earth to control the media that we consume. You're only going to get the uh, you know uh, cookie cutter process approved things uh, for all time. Um, but that's not what I want to happen. So I'm gonna. I'm just saying it out loud so that maybe somebody will listen. But I'm I'm, I'm with you. But I I I foresee nothing else but a continued Disney monopoly on everything. <laughs> yeah, Disney's just gonna own everything from yeah. from this point forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who owns Universal at this point? Um, 
There's got to be some big company that owns Universal. Uh, yeah, it's probably, uh, it's probably Disney. Disney, know. like like the Pride of Frankenstein side is a Disney princess now. That's what it's really <laughs> are. <laughs> uh, so the director's cut for this was 87 minutes long. Imagine oh, yeah. that. Two minutes longer? Yeah. No, 87 minutes long. That's that's uh, that's almost 10 minutes more longer or whatever. Oh, like okay. It, yeah, 75 minutes in its current form. But uh, producer Carl uh, Lamel Jr. imposed a number of cuts to tame down the director's excesses, quote-unquote. The prologue was cut, making difficult to understand the present dialogue. The body count, apparently there was a big body count here, was reduced from 21 to 10. Two love scenes between the couple and a toy representing the monster uh, with the child has been deleted. Okay, those are two separate things. There was not a love scene yeah, the, couples and <laughs> the love toy. Scene the child. Like, no, that doesn't sound like something that would have gotten muster in 1935. But. Yeah. Uh, so all this 12-minute footage has been lost, and apparently it's nowhere. Um, so uh, It's sitting stuff. somewhere alongside the uh, the missing footage from Magnificent Ambersons. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's what's happening. Yeah. This was remade in 1985 as The Bride, and there is still an unmade remake that's in development hell that was supposed to be part of the uh, Universal Dark Universe <laughs> thing that flopped yeah, terribly. That flopped terribly when, like, the Tom Cruise mummy thing was terrible. Oh yeah. God, that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. It's so bad. Angelina Jolie is the bride of Frankenstein. I mean, that's a great idea, but fucking... I mean, you, to, to actually have like a movie about the Bride of Frankenstein and actually have her do stuff instead of be on screen for three minutes. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Marilyn Harris, who played Maria, the girl the monster accidentally kills in the original Frankenstein, appears uncredited as another young girl. Uh, she's the leader of the group of young girl girls who encounter the monster as he runs away from the blind man's burning house. Whale directly gave her a one word line look. So she would be paid more uh, as, as an actual actor instead of a uh, extra. So there you go. Yeah. Friend of the working class, James Whale. Yeah. Uh, going into sort of how some of the actors here suffered in this film, uh, Boris Karloff sweated 20 pounds laboring in the hot costume and makeup. When filming a scene where the monster emerges from the burnt windmill, Boris Karloff slipped and fell into a water-filled well. Upon being helped out, it was discovered he had dislocated his hip in the fall. So apparently they um, had to strap his hip into place and Karloff soldiered on for the rest of the film. But uh, yeah, he, he did it with a broken hip. Uh, Colin Clive as well had a riding accident shortly before the film started and broke his leg. So in most of the scenes, he's he's not standing. He's sitting apparently, which is something I didn't notice. But apparently he's, he's not moving around a lot in this film. And also some discomfort here for uh, poor Elsa Lanchester. Uh, she was only 5'4", uh, but for the role was placed on stilts that made her seven feet tall. And, and you can actually kind of you can actually kind of tell that when she yeah. starts walking. It's like they have to help her and shit. And yeah. I mean, it, it worked for the performance. It, but, yeah, no, uh, it works for the performance. Yeah, no, it works in character. But yeah, no, that's uh, that's astonishing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although and, uh, if she was like five foot four and she's like a little like two feet shorter than Karloff, that you can kind of go like you know, <laughs> you know. Well, Slightly different um, uh, iconic status, I think. You know. And the bandages on, on her were placed so tightly on her that she was unable to move and had to be carried about the studio and fed through a straw. So, uh, 
Jesus. Not cool, but, you know, suffering for their art, I guess, kind of thing. As long as it's consensual, right? You know, yeah, capitalism yeah. ruins everything. Yeah, because it's ultimately just to get paid. But mm-hmm. Release info for here. There's uh, Kubrick would have done worse. Kubrick would have done way worse to these people if he, if he had been in charge. Oh, imagine <laughs> the takes he'd put fucking Lanchester through. It's like, no, yeah. you got to you got to stumble on these stilts for five hours until we get it right. Like yeah. we're gonna do this one shot for two weeks, mm-hmm. and at the end, it's no better than the one that's in the film that they did like three takes on. Yeah, no, it's like no one can see the difference in takes but Kubrick because Kubrick's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be kind of the like that's the that should be the motto of this podcast, right? Like no one gives it the difference in takes. Kubrick, because Kubrick's a dick. That should be our like motto. <laughs> yeah. So release info here. Uh, Universal Studios Blu-ray. There's a 2013, 14, 16, and 17 edition. You know, pick and choose Jesus. whatever you want. Uh, and there's as many. DVDs. Is there a difference? Like, what the fuck? Why? Why release uh, it four times? What? Uh, what did you say? Re- repeat that again. Like 2011, uh, 20, 12, 13, 16, 13, and 17? 14, 14, 16, and 17. So, so four different Blu-rays. Which I don't are know. Presumably different in some way. I think like one of them's a steelbook release, you know, kind of thing. Oh, okay. Like that sort of book. But like they're not. I don't I think don't there's know. any. Well, I, I was reading that like some of the earlier uh, Universal Studios uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases were not remastered i think i mentioned that on one of our previous films we covered so there was like a a, sort of an outcry that universal doesn't give a fuck about these movies they're just like putting them on discs and not cleaning them up so i think the earlier ones are probably probably look a little less in in quality compared to some of the later ones but I, I can't see there being too many differences in extras if anything like it feels maybe the later ones would be budget versions without a lot of the extras on them probably uh i I didn't look into it but they studios sometimes do that shit right right Uh, you know those those especially the film from like 1935 it does feel like you know you did four releases in like four years like that's yeah uh and there's as many dvd releases there's four or five fucking universal box set releases too that you can get so these are all you know like the single disc releases of those basically you can also get it on youtube to buy and rent itunes amazon prime and so yeah if you can't find this film that's on you more than anybody else (laughs) i i rented it from youtube it looked fine Mm -hmm. yeah it looked great so what are we doing next 39 steps or mad love which one do you want to have was that is that where we are? Thirty six. Yeah. We were no thirty five. We were still gonna. We were gonna clear out thirty five this month. And, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um. Sorry, I was looking forward to thirty six. Um. <laughs> so, uh, let's do thirty nine steps. Let's do thirty nine right. steps. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be it. Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. You can find me on the internet. I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. If you uh, care to go follow me, uh, I am officially above uh, six thousand followers. Uh, I'm well. I'm at like six thousand and thirty or something. You know, which um, I would. I was hovering around six thousand. I complained about it last time, and then uh, you know some uh, Nazi shit happened, and I always get like an influx of followers when Nazi <laughs> shit happens. Yeah, and by Nazi shit happens, I mean uh, you know the president of the United States said like, oh yeah. You know that armed uh, militia, the, that armed uh, street gang yeah, that uh, supports by. me? 
uh, st- you know, stand by and, yeah. uh, you know, and then people follow me. That's what happens, you know, when massacres or whatever, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's, that's how I get Twitter followers. I would really like to not get any more Twitter followers. Um, but if you want to come follow me, you can follow me there. Um, in case you do not know from the previous thing that I was just talking about, I do a podcast about terrible people. Uh, about Nazis and the things that they say when they don't think that we're listening. It's called I Don't Speak German. You can find it at I Don't Speak German. And it's pretty good. Go yeah, check it, it out. It's very good. You can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all the sort of associated podcasts to this now and all of our links to, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook. You can join the Facebook group. Uh, you can send us messages there or you can uh, actually send in messages on mp3 if you if you look into the uh, podbean site you can find my email address there and uh, send you know audio messages and we have the ability to play it at least i think we do i think i got my soundboard problems <laughs> yeah uh, we've, we've been having some soundboard issues uh, in the last few episodes but it's fine it's fine we'll work yeah, it out it's, it's, it's fine i'm just i'm just half stupid um but yeah you can do that and you can find us and uh until then Uh, Thank you, Daniel, and uh, thank you all for listening, and we will see you again. Goodbye. Cheers. Baby
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>